Hello and welcome to Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin and this is episode 66 and welcome back. And for those of you who are new, uh, welcome to the podcast. This podcast is uh, generally aimed at the at the new Linux user, although we certainly kind of go back and forth between uh, you know more more basic uh, topics and more advanced topics. And in fact, this episode is is going to introduce something new. And this is my first interview, and uh, so you'll have to bear with me. Uh, I'm not a professional interviewer, but uh, I think it's a really interesting interview, and I look forward to to hearing what you have to say about it. My ideas, uh, you know, or my thought process with these interviews, as I think I've mentioned before, is I really want to focus on sort of the general user, and it's people who are using Linux at home or in the office or people who are, you know, learning how to code things at school and, and you know, as well as talk to some developers and some other people that you, you know, probably read interviews about all the time. And I think, you know, those those people who are sort of well-known in the industry are are fascinating people, and I look forward to talking with them. But I also really want to sort of shine some light on on people who are who are you know not as well known and just regular users and, and and you know using Linux in different capacities. I think there's a lot of interesting stories to tell, and that's sort of what I'd want to hopefully get at with these interviews. Uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, give you all a heads up. Next week, I'll be talking about Fedora Seven. I've been spending a lot of quality time with it since it came out a week or two ago, and uh, I want to continue using it for another week before I talk about it next week. Since I haven't talked about Fedora. Before in any episode, I really want to give it some time, and I really want to talk about it, talk about the project, its background, sort of you know where it's coming from, and that sort of thing. Uh, so you know, please do stay tuned for that. I think that'll be very cool. But for now, let's get to this interview with Andrew Smith. Okay, well, tonight I'll be speaking with Andrew Smith. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me tonight. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Well, why don't we start by uh, maybe you can just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, um, the interesting part, I guess, for your listeners is that I just finished um, a computer studies program at college. So that's where most of my open source stuff comes uh, I used to be a computer technician, and uh, then eh, that career didn't go anywhere, so I decided to be a programmer. And I went to college, I got into open source, and now I'm open source full-time and more. Now, what uh, what college are you attending? Seneca College. It's in Toronto and Ontario in Canada. And I honestly think it's the best uh, computer school in Canada, but I'm a bit biased. And it, it, I, I got a bit spoiled because people let me do whatever I want, and it turned out that the projects I worked on were successful. So uh, I'm really happy with it. Well, how how did you get uh, how did you get started in in computers and and uh, technology, just sort of in general, kind of you know going back a few years? What what got you interested in in computers? Well, it's quite a few years. Um, the first computers I used, uh, I have no idea what they were. They were Yamahas, but they didn't have floppy drives or hard drives or anything of that sort. They had cards you plugged in, and they loaded stuff off the network of a server. And I was about 10 years old at the time, so I had no idea what was going on. But basically, up until I was maybe 16, 18, all I cared about was games. And I still play a lot of games, but... Uh, yeah, programming wasn't really my thing. Uh, 
it always seemed, whenever I tried to learn it, it would be too complicated. So I always stayed with the like the hardware side. So I, I became a hardware technician um, for a few years, and that was. I can't remember the year, but basically five years ago, I decided I should go into software, so I went to college. I went to Seneca, and since then, all I've been doing is software. What what kind of hardware did you work on prior to attending college? PCs uh, only. Um, basically, I started when I was old enough to be allowed to break the computers. Uh, uh, I guess it was a Pentium 1, and since then it's always been PCs. Um, I, I turned out to like AMDs more more than the Intel processors, but it doesn't matter, they're all the same anyway. So, but yeah, I never, I never really did any, any kind of like in-depth work on anything that's not a PC. Even recently, now I'm doing programming, um, and sometimes I should be testing things on a Mac, I should be testing things on Sparks and all kinds of weird stuff, but I don't have any of those. And what happens in open source, it's really neat, because I put a note on my website on one of my projects, and I said, uh, listen, I want to make this platform independent, but I can't because I don't have the hardware, and uh, can you help me out? So what happened was some guy from Germany, I wish I remembered his name, um, I can't remember it, but a really nice guy, he called me up and he said, listen, I'll give you an account on my machine, and he gave me an account on a BSD box, and it was running, uh, was running free BSD, I think, and another guy from England, he um, contacted me, and he gave me an account on... Um, couple of other really strange architectures and arm box and something else and that's how I managed to to work on those and so this this was prior to attending college no this was all after after college oh, Basically I see. How I started yeah how I started in open source is uh, right in the first semester I went to the Linux club we have a Linux club at the college and I don't think I remember why I went there but Basically, I think I just wanted to learn another operating system because all I knew by that time was DOS Windows, right? So I went to the Linux club, and uh, I got started with Linux there. And I realized I really like it because it's so stable and it just works. And maybe a year later, I moved to, I moved to Linux full-time. And after that, I started appreciating the open-source part of it because uh, before that, I was just a user. I wasn't a developer, really. So I was just appreciating the stability and the speed. After that, I realized that, hey, this uh, this really helps, because um, uh, am I rambling? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Keep going. All right. Um, what I realized eventually is that um, open source is really good for innovation, because um, it provides a platform for people to develop on. Like otherwise, you'd have to pay for this software, for this software, for this compiling, or for this IDE, and, and it's just expensive. And and there's no innovation because unless the company that makes all those things has a reason to upgrade, they're not going to. So open source really pushes pushes companies to innovate. It pushes and it takes advantage of people's creativity. Right? It it makes sure that people 
put their best into software. So once I realized that, I, I really became almost a fanatic, and now all, all I use is open source, and uh, all I write is open source. So uh, there you go. So did did uh, did you have any exposure to open source at all prior to attending college? Once back uh, in the, in a hardware training school, um, I don't know the right term for it. Basically, it taught me to put computers together and stuff. And there, the teacher was printing Linux, and I think it was Red Hat 6.4. Well, I tried it, and being a Windows guy, all I wanted was GUI, and I got no GUI from that. <laughs> uh, so I, I just got completely disappointed with it, because the, the teacher who, who was printing it, he was so excited. And he said, this is so great, this is so nice. But I tried it, and I got no GUI, and I said, I don't want it. And basically, after that, for like three or four years, I didn't even touch anything open source. Now, but, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, when I uh, when I started with Linux in college, it, it was that was years later. It it was already so much better that it just it it, it didn't it didn't matter that some things wouldn't be configured and I had to do it by hand because overall, it, compared to the Windows, what was it? 2000 at the time I was using it, it, it was just so much better I think <laughs> now what is the uh, uh, community like at the university you, you I think you mentioned the lug a few minutes ago uh, is is the university known for se- for sort of having a very uh, uh, open-minded uh, uh, community when it comes to technology Um. First, it's not a university, it's a college. It's a bit different in Canada. We have colleges and universities, and eh, it's kind of weird, but it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, our, our our school, Seneca, is, is becoming quite something in open source. Uh, I kind of like to think that I had something to do with starting it. We have, we have the stream of project courses, we call it systems, and... Um, when I went into the course, the teacher told us the requirements for your projects are that it has to have uh, a connection to a database, and it has to have a web interface, and you have to have a real, in quotes, client. So you actually need like a person to sign off on what you're doing. And I wanted to do an open source project. And I figured there's no way she's going to let me do it. But I talked to her and uh, explained what it is and explain how it's useful and explain a bit about how open source works. And, um, yes, I don't have a client, but the client, my client is the world, you know, and uh, I get feedback from everybody. And she actually went with it. And uh, that was, I think, three years ago. And after that, uh, all hell broke loose, <laughs> basically. It was probably just a coincidence because uh, we had... Uh, we had a. Uh, an open source symposium last year was a huge success. We had people uh, from, I wish I remembered their names, I'm not good with names, uh, but we had people from Mozilla, from Sun, from EFF, from Creative Commons, um, who else? There was IBM, One Letter Per Child, all, 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 the, all, all the speakers from these fancy projects and companies came to speak and uh, a big attendance so that was really a big success. Um, 
what else do we do? Oh, yeah, the Linux Club, um, ever since I joined it in the first year, uh, we've had an install fest every semester. So at the beginning of every semester, we um, basically advertise and get the new students to come and install Linux for them. Uh, so that's another thing we do. Uh, we also have, um, I keep saying we, I'm not a student anymore, so I should be saying they. I just graduated a couple of months ago. Uh, so they also have um, an open source course where you get to work on a project with the, mostly the Mozilla community and uh, get uh, academic credit for that. So that was really neat. Uh, what else do we do at Seneca? Well, we have something coming up this Thursday, um, but I can't tell you about it because I don't know much. <laughs> uh, if we speak again, maybe I can tell you what's uh, going to happen this Thursday. All kinds of people from the industry are coming to um, basically get in touch, figure out what we're doing. Because uh, when you work with Mozilla, I know it's a huge project. It has, I don't know how many millions of users. That that's already really serious, right? And it's it's no longer academic; it's real practical work. And uh, that's what that's what businesses like to see. They like to see the students that we put out have real experience in the real world. So a, a bunch of people from the industry are coming to see what we're doing, and we're showing off some of our projects and just talking to them. Can you? So, yeah, uh, we're, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Can you describe some of the other? projects that you that you worked on while you were at college i think you had mentioned a a freedom toaster and and some software yeah um the freedom toaster was my last project at school um uh we were basically just talking uh, in the linux club and none of us had anything to do no project to work on and uh someone was rambling about something and that we're all there sitting bored doing nothing and uh, um, one of our teachers uh, built a basically just a computer uh, with a really really simple piece of software that you clicked on and stick and put in your empty CD and it will burn a Linux distro for you. And he put that in the, at the open source symposium. People kind of liked it, so I said, "Why not build a freedom toaster?" It's I read about it somewhere, probably fleshed out, I don't remember where. But basically it's a kiosk. Um, it's like a bank machine. It, it, it's really, really easy to use. You come up to it, it has a touch screen. It has, I think, six distributions. On, yeah, six distros on it. Not just distros. There's four distros, the OpenCD, and uh, something else. But all open source, so you come up... Touch whatever you want. It says insert your disk, insert your disk, and uh, it burns it for you. So that was beautiful. <laughs> it, it took about, I think, three months to build. We got funding from the school. Um, everybody, I think, was involved. We had um, the technical guys. We had the marketing guys. We had the artists doing the artwork. A couple of students from uh, compute from computer studies, a bunch of teachers. So it's really, really a fun project to work on. And I wish I, I wish there were more of them because 
Uh, you found this tall store. We put it in the library, so basically there's like a thousand students a day passing by it. So it, it, it's a big bonus to open source because some of those are going to want to give it a shot because they look at this, it, it looks nice. You know, it doesn't take any effort because you just stick in your blank disk and push, a, push two buttons. And some of them are going to give it a shot. And uh, I, I think more schools should do this. Because it's, it's a great project to work on. It's lots of fun. It can be as cheap or as expensive as you like. You, you can basically put the computer together and use the software I wrote, and it's free, right? Or you can do what we did and make a fancy cabinet with a touch screen and a fancy artwork. But uh, it's so helpful. And it, it promotes open source. It's fun to work on. It, it's only bonuses all over <laughs> So I wish more more uh, more schools did that. Another project, the project I mentioned that uh, I was allowed to work on at systems, in the systems courses, is ISOMaster. It's it's an editor for ISO images. And um, uh, where do I start? That that project is two years old now. Basically, when I started, it was uh, it was just a dream. Uh, I, I tried and. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I wanted to be able to add some files to the Knopic CD. And I asked around on forums, how did I do this? And I was told something about MKISOFS and given a command line that's about three lines long. And I just said, that's nuts. And I figured it's got to be a GUI way to do this. So... I said, why not make this piece of software? And the teacher allowed me to do it. So for the first year, I worked my ass off. Uh, um, is that okay for your listeners? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes, for the first year, I just worked really hard, and uh, there was nothing to show for it, because uh, I didn't want to be one of the 90% of SourceForge projects that didn't release any files, so I kept it to myself with the teacher. But after a year, I released version 0.1, and boy, did it snowball from there. Uh, the same guy who, who, I told, who I told you from England who let me do some testing on his machines, he was the first contributor, basically. He made the Debian packages for me, so we'll install easily on Debian and Ubuntu. And uh, one by one, you know, someone else wanted, someone else would make a Fedora package, someone would make a SUSE package, so now I have... I think 15 contributors uh, making packages of ISOMaster. And there are, uh, last time I checked, 23 translations. Um, and it's included in distros like Fedora and the next version of Ubuntu. And it's, it's, it's really great. Um, the best part of, of it, I think, is uh, me getting all those emails. <laughs> Because it, it, it's really something when you get an email from a stranger and say, thank you very much, and, uh, you know, I love your work. It, it, it doesn't happen a lot in, in, the, in your life, so it, it, it just makes me feel good, so it's fun to work on. Yeah, it's a really nice-looking uh, application, and I'm, I'm actually looking at the website now, and I do see that there are packages available for many distributions, as you mentioned, Debian, Ubuntu, Fedora, SUSE, Mandriva. There's even Slackware, Arch Linux, Gen2, and uh, it it looks like a fantastic application. Thank you. 
Now, yeah, the, the, the whole point of it was to, to make an easy-to-use editor for SO images. So I kept, I kept it really simple. So if you look at if you look at the screenshots, there's like what five buttons on it, and uh, but it's really simple, but it does what it's supposed to do, and I think that's why people like it because it, it's not like I'm not gonna name any, <laughs> any software that's too many things. <laughs> uh, yes. Now um, I think did you did you work on a, uh, a summer of code project at one point? Yeah. Um, how did I get started? Uh, oh yeah, during my co-op summer, um, one of my teachers approached me and he said, do you want to work on this project for Mozilla uh, to do animated PNGs? Because you, you can have normal PNGs, you can't have animated PNGs. Like you can have GIFs and you can have animated GIFs, but not animated PNGs. So he said, okay, do you want to work on this project? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> Am I qualified to work on a project? And he says, I don't know. Are you qualified? And basically we went back and forth like that a little. And he said, just go ahead and do it. So I went ahead and did it. So the project in the summer um, was icing up. Uh, it was for, for Mozilla, uh, a Google Summer of Code project. And the point was to modify libpng to allow for animations, which is a mouthful. Basically, it was to create animated PNG, the library. So I worked on that all summer, and uh, it turned out that I finished a project, which uh, felt really good. And Mozilla was happy with me, and the teacher was happy with me. So in the fall after that, I took the open source course with the same teacher, and I continued on animated PNG where I took the library that I modified and uh, um, integrated that with Mozilla, so with a Mozilla tree. So now Firefox and Thunderbirds and what else is there? So all the Mozilla products can now show animated PNGs. That's uh, I didn't get there yet. Okay. And uh, so I finished that in the fall. Basically, in the summer, I did the library. In the fall, I did Firefox. And in the winter, it was this winter, I, uh, I did too much work. Um, there, there are lots of, because Mozilla is such a big project and, um, Animated PNG is such a big project. Uh, there's there's a lot of people who have things to say about it. So somebody wants this little piece to be different. Somebody wants that little piece to do more. So it took me all of winter to satisfy everybody to finally get uh, the library integrated with Mozilla. Because the work was done in the fall, but then the winter I spent making a bunch of changes. So uh, at the end of the uh, yeah, about at the end of the winter, it was finally accepted into Mozilla. So it will the animated PNG stuff will ship as part of Firefox three. That I don't know what, when that's going to be released, but uh, yeah, that's really exciting to have to have my code in, in such a big fancy project. That is really exciting, and uh, and uh, you know, congratulations. I think that's just. It's really neat to, to, to hear how 
someone went from you know just working on some hardware and 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 learning programming and getting into school and working on these projects and and it sounds like uh, uh being exposed to open source is something that that you plan to continue i would imagine absolutely i, I wouldn't even think of any other way um it, it just you know people always say this there's a, there's a community and i always felt it's kind of abstract but once I got into a couple of communities, I realized how, you know, it, it's so fulfilling. You, you feel right at home. You know, you feel appreciated. You feel like you're doing something important. And I wouldn't even think of going to do closed source software because I know it's like my co-op job was doing closed source. And I just, <laughs> you can't, you know, you sign your NDA and then you can't even talk about what you're doing, never mind about the details and sharing, you know, solutions and interesting problems so you know open source for me is is the only career choice right now and it sounds like open source has has been uh, a big success at your college as well absolutely and and it's getting better Um, um, we're having another open source symposium this year Um, unfortunately we didn't see it put the speakers list up on the website, but it's going to be even more exciting than last year. Uh, did I mention what the format is? Basically, we have one day full of workshops where the speakers... Um, so last year we had, for example, um, a Learn Python workshop where you basically came in with no knowledge and you came out two hours later knowing Python. And we had, so, okay, that might or might not be exciting for you. We had another one, which was really cool, where uh, they built a uh, cluster. So in, in in two hours in a lab, the SMDs built a cluster. So that was just amazing. I didn't, I didn't attend that workshop, but I talked to a couple of people, and I actually got it done. So that, that, that's really cool. So we have one day full of workshops like that. There's about five of them, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, the next day we have the presentation. So we have five tracks. Because there's so many speakers, uh, there's just no way to fit them all in one day sequentially. So we have five tracks, and you get to choose who you listen to. And basically, the day is filled with presentations. And last year, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, uh, last year we had um, the last day, the third day, um, we had a bunch of high school teachers get together from all over Toronto, and they talked about how to get open source into high schools. So either use it on their computers or teach the students how to use OpenOffice or teach the students, you know, using Python and Linux. Uh, teach them a little programming. So we had a we had basically a meeting with uh, high school teachers like that, and it was interesting for them. I attended too because I was helping out. But yeah, so um, yes, yeah, Seneca is is getting more and more into open source, and that's really good to see because for students, this is really valuable. I mean, you want, most people, most students, they graduate from school and they have absolutely no experience. You know, it's it's always that I don't have any experience. How do I get a job? You know, when you work in open source, you don't need a job to get experience. You can get experience while you're still in school, like I did. Like 
I have, well, if I were to put it on a resume, I'd say I have two years of experience working, even though I just graduated two months ago. And that wouldn't be a lie, because I kept doing open source. And for students, it is so valuable that you graduate with already two years of experience doing real work on real projects. So I think it's it's good uh, it's good for the students it's good for the school and uh, I hope I hope to spread the word. <laughs> well, Andrew, what are your future plans now that you've uh, graduated from college? Ah, uh, no secret plans. Uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I think I will try to uh, get a full time job in Mozilla because there's uh, it's such a big project. There's uh, room for all kinds of interest in there. So I like the core, the you know, systems programming, the stuff that most people find boring. And there's lots of that work in Mozilla. And if they would have me, I'd be really excited to work there. Well, great. Well, Andrew, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or mention? Uh, I'd just like to repeat that um, people should really consider building more Freedom Toasters. Right now, our Freedom Toaster at Seneca is the only one outside of Africa, and that really bothers me. I, I when I built it, when we built it, excuse me, um, I made a log of everything we did. So all the software is on the website. The artwork is on the website. The list of tools, the list of parts. Uh, I even made pictures of how we built things. So if they Google Seneca Freedom Toaster. Uh, they'll find that page and they can look at how it's built and they can at least consider making one. And it's a great project for a Linux club or a log or even just a, you know, a, a, any kind of club in a computer studies school. So how more people do that. It really is a, a really neat looking uh, kiosk and it just seems very professionally done and very easy to use. And, and uh, it does seem like something that would be really helpful just to put in a library or a public school somewhere or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, Andrew, thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks for putting up with me talking too much. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Well, I really would like to thank Andrew again for uh, being my guinea pig. He was the first person I interviewed, and uh, he was very, very nice about it, and, and I enjoyed talking to him very much, and I hope you enjoyed that as well. Let's get to a listener tip via email from Jeff. Okay, Jeff writes in via email. He says, I discovered VirtualBox by accident while using Ubuntu with Automatics. I must say that I am totally amazed. I now have both a Windows 2000 and Windows XP virtual machines as well as Ubuntu on my trusty old 2 gigahertz, uh, 2 gigahertz Celeron laptop. I had for many months dual-booted both Windows and Linux in various forms as well as BSD, but this extremely easy virtualization has totally ended my dependency on that solution, and I can now run both Linux and Windows with ease, satisfying my computer needs. I just wanted to pass this on as I had tried VMware, and it was a bit of a pain to use, but VirtualBox is both faster and extremely easy to install, configure, and use via Ubuntu and Automatics. That's from Jeff. Jeff, thanks for that. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I've been using Parallels, 
uh, in the past several months. And then lately I've been using VirtualBox, and VirtualBox really is fantastic, especially for an application that's uh, free, at, free as in beer. And uh, it's it's really cool, very easy to configure, and it is very fast, and uh, it's just great stuff. So if anybody does have a need for some kind of virtualization software and doesn't want to pay for VMware or Parallels or something, definitely check out VirtualBox. I think you'll be very pleased. All right, let's check some listener feedback. Hey, Chess, this is Jonathan Nistler. Um, been uh, listening to the podcast for a long time. Fallen behind a little bit since my son was born, but uh, just catching in the, um, uh, the backup server one, you had requested that we send in uh, just some information about how we're using Linux servers and whatnot. I currently have an old uh, HP Pavilion that I got in 2000, uh, 700 megahertz, whatnot. Um, have Ubuntu 604 long-term service one loaded on there. Um, right now, I just have a file server for my home. Um, we're mostly Windows with a couple Linux machines, so got a Samba file server. Um, also using the file server setup for a backup server for a couple machines. I have some batch files that run the backup to there. Um, I also have a web server, and that's my uh, internal development web server that I use, as well as a SQL server running on there, obviously. And I also have a proxy server running on there that I use with my um, LG phone, so I can uh, get free Wi-Fi or uh, free internet. So, so that's what I'm using it for. I think it works out great. Thanks a lot for the wonderful episodes. I'm learning a lot and I'm uh, trying to delve completely into Linux as quick as I can. So keep it up the great work. I'll talk to you later, Chess. Bye. Very cool. That's uh, very cool stuff that you're using uh, Linux for. A lot of lot of interesting uh, applications there, especially that proxy server. That sounds that sounds pretty neat. So, thanks very much for that audio comment. Uh, this message is for Chess Griffin. Uh, my name is Leonard, and I'm in Oklahoma City. And I just want to let you know that that I listen to your podcast every week, and I really enjoy listening to them. And actually, feels kind of cool to talk with somebody I listen to on a podcast. Um, keep up the good work and have a good one. <laughs> Thanks, Leonard. Appreciate it. Hey, Chess. This is uh, Ryan from Phoenix, Arizona. I just wanted to uh, talk about uses for uh, Linux. I um, I know you asked for an audio comment, but unfortunately I don't have the, the uh, advantage of listening to your podcast at home. I'm always on the road. So anyway, I... Um, I love using Linux. I use it on uh, in a business environment all the time. A lot of times it's for network monitoring. I set up uh, MRTG, smoke ping, some monitoring tools using Apache to um, to dish those uh, you know the the monitoring part out so people can view their graphs and the performance of their you know usually Windows servers. Um, I also use it at home. I use it as a DNS server. I love resolving all my computers, and I also use it as a image magic uh, server. I'm able to um, I, I run uh, Gallery Two, so it will automatically resize all my images and make them all pretty, so I can share them with my family and friends. So um, Linux has been great. I usually use Ubuntu server. Uh, I also use CentOS and uh, VMware server. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a great asset to the companies that I've worked for. Uh, it's really helped to to bring them up and running right away. We had VMware at one place, so was, you know, at no extra cost, this thing's run, you know, another couple hundred megs of RAM, 
and hardly using any CPU on a VMware server as a virtual machine, and it's virtually at no extra cost to uh, to the company. So it allowed me to bring up some monitoring tools and then a lot of other uh, cool open source tools that it only you know the labor is only cost to the company. So anyway, I uh, love the show. Keep up the great work, and I uh, I look forward to this podcast. Bye. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I couldn't tell if that you know muting in and out was due to him moving the microphone away or something with Gizmo, but uh, hopefully you're able to catch that. I thought there was a lot of cool stuff in there. So, But thank you, Ryan, for taking the time to call. I've got some uh, emails here. First one is from Krista, and she writes, Hi, Chess. I just wanted to let you know that at my college, your podcast has converted at least 100 people to Linux. We have a student IT group that gets together and listens to your podcast every Friday night. Thank you so much for your hard work. You really are an inspiration. Keep up the great work from Krista. <laughs> That's very cool, Krista. Uh, and uh, so big shout out to everybody there in your IT group. Uh, here is an email from Jose. Jose says, hi, Chess. Uh, this is Jose from Valencia, Spain. I just wanted to drop a few lines to give you a little feedback. First of all, congratulations for such a great podcast. I really enjoy it and look forward to hearing it every week. I'm a new Linux user, and I am very fortunate because I came across your fantastic podcast a couple of weeks after I decided to try Linux when I was surfing for some help, and the help came with the words, Hello, this is your host, Jess Griffin. Uh, from the very beginning, your podcast has been a source of precious information and encouragement to keep on trying this fantastic OS. I'm not against Windows or any other OS, but I do think we should all support the open source movement, and I think using it is a good way to do it. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have any good tips to share with you, only my little experience with Linux. I decided to give Linux a try, so I bought a new hard drive, uh, 120 gigs for just 50 euros, downloaded the OpenSUSE install CD, burned it, and started a painless installation over the internet. I only had to type the repositories for my distribution. The install program took care of everything, detecting my internet connection, partitioning, installing, and creating a dual boot with my Windows XP partition. No data lost, and no problems at all with the hard drive where XP is installed. That was a real wow. I think it's a good way to start for people who are not sure about Linux, but they want to give it a go. From there, it's just about trying. I learn something every day, and I just wanted to say thanks, because you and other people like you out there make a real difference. I've got a question that has been probably answered many, many times before, and it's about Linux and viruses. Now, I, I know I shouldn't worry about viruses in Linux, but after so many years working with Windows, it is hard to stop feeling paranoid. I still don't quite understand why, and what about the other nasty stuff like keyloggers? Keep up the good work, Jose. Well, Jose, uh, that's a very nice email. Thanks so much for sending that in. Um, about uh, viruses... I think I kind of touched on this last week. Yeah, I mean, there's really no major viruses in the wild like there are for Windows. At least that wouldn't affect you on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, rootkit exploits and things like that that may affect servers and, and whatnot. But just as a general rule, you know, you don't need to worry about viruses like you do in in uh, in Windows. And it's certainly a good idea to run antivirus software, especially if you're running an email server, you know, just to get rid of the viruses that pass through, maybe from your Windows friends or to your Windows friends. But on a desktop basis, I just, you know, I don't, I haven't, I've never run any kind of antivirus software on my Linux desktops. Uh, Keyloggers are a different story. I mean, if it's a hardware keylogger that's, you know, embedded into a into a keyboard at a public terminal. Well, there's you know not much you can do about that. Um, software keyloggers, I'm sure there are some out there for for Linux, but I certainly haven't come across any. So, uh, but thanks very much, Jose, for your email. And the last email for this week is from Vince. Vince said, "I just finished listening to episode 63, Home Server Part Nine, Backup Servers. It was nice to hear someone simplifying TAR and RSync. I would like to add a great backup program I use at home and on my home on my home server. The program I've been using for some time is Backup PC." 
there's a great how-to on howtoforge.com. It might be a little tricky to set up for the beginners, but if your listeners remember episode 37 SSH and episodes 25 and 26, Windows Networking 1 and 2, then there shouldn't be too much confusion. The nice thing about Backup PC is my wife works from home, and when she needs to restore a file, she opens up her browser, and with a few clicks, the file is restored. That's pretty cool. Uh, the server Ubuntu Feisty I have set up at home does many things. The main job of my home server is to run VMware Server. The VMware Server runs three operating systems, two Windows and 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 an Ubuntu web server. Uh, my wife has to use a couple programs in Windows, so she opens up VMware Console on her Ubuntu machine and does her work without taking too many resources from her computer. This also comes in handy when she wants to switch from her main computer to her laptop. The other Windows is to test things for my work. I use it pretty much the same way as my wife uses her virtual machine. The last virtual machine runs the web server for testing open source projects. The other purpose for the home server is to run as a myth box for HDTV. I have the PC HDTV uh, card to allow any of our computers on our network watch HDTV. We also use a server as a file, backup, and print server. It is amazing how many things we do with a Linux Ubuntu server, which has never gone down except for the times when I'm messing with it. You said in your podcast that you would be at the Ubuntu Live Convention. I will also be there. Thanks for the great podcast, Vince. Well, Vince, I, uh, I will not be at the Ubuntu Live Convention, uh, but I am going to be at, at the Ohio Linux Fest at the end of September. So um, uh, if I misspoke, I apologize. But yeah, no, I'm not going to be at the Ubuntu Live Convention, uh, but I will be at uh, the Ohio Linux Fest. So if you're able to make that, that would be very cool. And thanks for that great email. It's really neat to see what you're using Ubuntu for, especially the VMware server. That's a great idea. I believe VMware server is a free download. And so you can install the server on your server and then install the clients on obviously your, all your client machines and just access the virtual machines that way, rather than having to run, you know, separate virtual machines on each client workstation. I think that's the way it works. So uh, but that's very cool, Vince. Uh, thanks so much for that email. And I think that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Okay, well, I'd like to first uh, thank again uh, Andrew Smith for taking the time to speak with me and being my guinea pig for my first interview. I hope you all enjoyed that. I've got several more lined up already, and uh, I'm working on some others, so I think it'll be fun to intersperse these throughout our sort of, you know, regular episodes. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. Go to linuxreality.com slash contact for all the contact information, including the email, which is linuxreality at gmail.com, the various uh, uh, listener call-in numbers, the uh, the SIP number, if you're using a, some sort of uh, voice over IP, as well as the Gizmo account name, which is just Linux Reality. You can, uh, if, you're, if you use Gizmo, you can just reach me that way and leave a voicemail or send in an audio comment or a listener tip. Uh, I'd also like to thank everyone who signed up in the forums. We are over 1,000 people now. That's very cool. And we've got a lot of good conversations going on in there. If you haven't stopped by, please do so, which is linuxreality.com slash forums. And we've also got that IRC channel, which is uh, hash linuxreality on irc.freednode.net. It's still pretty quiet, but, you know, we've got 10 or 20 people in there, usually, something like that, and I've been able to pop in from time to time, uh, and I plan to keep doing that. So uh, check out the IRC channel as well. All right. I uh, hope you all have a great week and a great weekend, and I will catch you next time. This has been Episode 66 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.